0: We can't put any of that in We need to have a subscription, Dana, and people can buy all of the outtakes that they want. Uh,
1: We'd be, we'd either be rich or or banned from the internet. (laughs) Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith. Once again, I'm joined by Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan.
0: Hey, Dana, how are you this evening?
1: Great. I won't get into what the weather's like because uh, <laughs> uh, that takes us down a wrong road, but uh, or just a longer road. Uh, things are going well. Had a good day at work. You know, life is good. Drinking some wine, and we're talking about Star Trek.
0: Hey, that's uh, that does sound like a good time for you, um, and and for <laughs> me. Uh, I hope it is for our listeners.
1: Well, we have been getting a lot more response from our listeners lately. Once again, nobody is complaining or telling us to get off the air or stop a podcast or anything. So several of our own family members have told us to stop, but uh, yes. not our fans out there in the world. So well, good. Uh, So did want to give a shout out to uh, Brian, who emailed us and suggested we do a podcast comparing and contrasting Star Trek to Star Wars.
0: Ooh, that could get heated.
1: Yeah. That, well, that's an ongoing battle out there. You know, I mean, people either it, there, there are sides to that battle.
0: So. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, the Mac versus PC crowd back in, you know, the early 90s. Oh yeah, that was vicious. Vicious.
1: Okay. Uh, also, want to thank our friend Zoom, who noted uh, that in court martial, Kirk looks around the bar and notices uh, that the uh, graduating class from the academy was well represented there, but he's the only captain. Everybody else was a lieutenant. People are always commenting on here about uh, on Facebook, especially that uh, they they notice the ranks. That's something I need to be better about. I've I've not been paying attention to that as much, but I'm getting better
0: yeah i haven't either really um so i'm glad some of our listeners are out there doing that for us and helping us out with that
1: and thanks to matthew who liked our show and had uh, a couple of comments for us want to know what was in our ramble jars and (laughs) i say i say ramble jars because dan and i keep
0: our own well how much do you have in your jar now dana Uh,
1: about 47 dollars and some
0: odd cents i think it's like uh, almost 48 okay i did count mine to the penny today wow yeah. You must have a lot of time on your hands uh,
1: for as much as you ramble.
0: Yeah, that's that, <laughs> that's really true. It is at $59.37. Well, I would have thought it was a lot more on your side. Too. I may have been taking a little bit out here and there for coffee. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> what, for the whole
1: coffee bar? That's a... <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah. Anyway,
1: Patty seemed to appreciate the concept of Jamie from court-martial uh, being the love child of Kirk and Mrs. Finney. Ah, so, yes. Uh,
0: Thank you. Which, uh, Patty, was it
1: Patty, you said?
0: Patty? Patty. Yeah. Thank Dan Patty. floated
1: that out there. So uh, I'll give him all the credit for that.
0: Thanks, Patty, for... Uh, Validating my Jamie is the love child of James T. Kirk and Mrs. Finney theory. Great. Well, those are all good comments, Dana. We're getting a lot of uh,
1: response. Again, once again, it's all positive. So uh, as a reminder, we do want to uh, let people know we are looking for people to come on the show and talk to us about their Star Trek experience. Have you met one of the uh, actors? I, I see on Facebook, people are always saying, I met James Doohan. I met George Takei, William Shatner. I hear all these names come. Up, So if you uh, want to talk about that experience, we'd be happy to get
0: you on or just talk about a favorite episode of yours. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. I would really look forward to interviewing some of the fans and hearing their stories. Maybe we could get George Takei and William Shatner on together. <laughs>
1: The uh, I just saw a thing from George Takei where he was on the Graham Norton show and said that he is done talking about William Shatner.
0: It's too bad, uh, you know, that this has gone on for decades and decades and decades and taken up, I'm sure, a lot of energy on the part of both of those gentlemen. We'll let those guys kind of battle it out and um, hope that they come to some kind of mutually agreed upon understanding of respect for each other.
1: Let us hope. You know, Star Trek was all about uh, peace and getting along with one another. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, those two gentlemen can figure that
0: out. So, yeah, hopefully. You also have some news, Dana, about we were talking about going to a Star Trek convention using the Ramble Jar money, right? We were talking yeah. about going to one in Seattle. Uh, what's the news that you have about that?
1: <laughs> uh, it's nothing good. They, uh, people that were putting the show
0: on, decided to cancel the show. But instead of Seattle, there is the one in Vegas in August. So if we go down there, Dana, no matter how much we ramble between now and then, we're not going to have enough money in the ramble jar. So here's what I propose, that people send us money. (laughs) I knew you were going to go there. Yeah. And, and we could have like shirts made and we would have put people's names on it, like sponsors, you know, instead of NASCAR, it's the Star Trek podcast sponsor list.
1: Ooh, that's an idea.
0: Yeah. And we could get like a a table in the convention hall to do live podcast. Wow. That could either make us or break us. Yeah. Well, I think it'd be really, really, really expensive. I mean, I don't really know. <laughs> I, I didn't look into it. I have no clue. It can cost a few thousand
1: dollars and stuff. But Ooh. I don't know. We bought just a table. Would we have well, Dancing what, girls? When we have a margarita <laughs> like, machine, oh, you know,
0: just, that's a good idea. Hey, okay, here's here's the deal. Uh, this is an idea that I have. Let's get a table, like just a card folding card table, right? A couple of camping chairs, and we'll just set it up outside. Why could how could that go wrong?
1: One thing, it's like 120 in Vegas uh, outside <laughs> during, during the day. <laughs>
0: okay, okay. So that's well, but if we had the margarita machine to keep us cool,
1: yeah, that's a good point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or at least drunk, and then we wouldn't care.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, shall we talk about this week's episode?
0: Yeah, let's do that.
1: The Return of the Archons. Captain's log states that uh, they are searching Beta-3 because the 22nd century ship, the Archon, disappeared around Beta-3 over a hundred years ago. And uh, since they were in the sector, they were going to investigate and see what they could find.
0: Hence the name of the show, right? Uh, The Return of the Archons.
1: Yes. Not the Akron's.
0: I've never been to Akron, Ohio. I wonder if it's a nice place.
1: I don't know. I was drunk
0: one night in Ohio and I don't remember where I was, but uh,
1: I don't think it was Akron.
0: (laughs) Well, didn't they used to make tires in Akron, Ohio? It seems like, does that ring a bell to you? Akron actually is the rubber capital of the world. And when I say rubber, I mean like tires. I just thought I'd throw that in there.
1: Thanks. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so much better now.
0: Yeah, I knew it had something to do with tires. Yeah. Okay, so let's continue on with whatever we're doing. (laughs) It starts off with uh,
1: Sulu and O'Neill running down a street dressed in kind of 17th century garb. So they get get inside a doorway and they're saying, we've got to get out of here. And O'Neill says, you know, there's no time. And these guys uh, in brown robes are walking towards them with these long, I'm guessing, metal sticks. O'Neill's freaking out and he takes off running. And so Sulu calls to be beamed up. Right before he gets beamed up, he gets zapped by one of these long, metal sticks and you can see he just kind of changes and then he gets beamed aboard the enterprise when kirk called him sulu he says
0: they're wonderful they're the sweetest friendliest people in the universe it's paradise my friend well maybe both shatner and takei need to be zapped with that stick again <laughs> so they can be nice to each other there's a thought. Maybe I'll tell
1: you what. That's what we do. We go to the Star Trek show in Vegas in those robes and the
0: sticks, and we go up and zap each one of them. And we'll broker a peace. If We'd the security
1: more- guards don't tackle us first, yeah.
0: <laughs> We'd be more famous than like Jimmy Carter when he did the Palestinian-Israeli peace accords.
1: Yeah, or Henry Kissinger and getting us out of Vietnam. So next we see Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and three others, including a sociologist, Lindstrom, and two security Security guards uh, beamed down, and now they're dressed in like late 1800s garb.
0: Yeah, who who is doing the like the wardrobe on the Enterprise? Who is this person?
1: <laughs> so anyway, this group—they're uh, all you know, like I said, dressed appropriately now, and they're walking down the street, and people are just kind of passing by with vacant contentment, as Spock puts it. Uh, and they meet a man who speaks very woodenly to them uh, about the festival. He suggests that they need a place to sleep it off when it's done.
0: And they have no idea what this festival even means, right?
1: Yeah, it, I'm, I'm sure Like the security guards are like, great, there's going to be a party. This woman walks up and this guy tells, says, uh,
0: Tula, these folks come for the festival. Your daddy can put them up, can he?
1: He speaks so weird.
0: That guy (laughs) was weird. That guy was weird. Yeah. He freaked me out, actually, a little bit. I thought he was like a robotic or something, but- uh Yeah. Yeah, the way he spoke was also very odd. Very odd.
1: Yeah. Just then the clock strikes six and everybody just goes berserk. Yeah. The woman that they had talked to just starts screaming. And then like another woman jumps on Kirk and latches onto him, gives him a kiss. I mean, like, you know, trying to like suck his teeth out of his head or something. And Kirk is like,
0: <laughs> All right, I like this festival thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: Cause this is just another dad in Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. Yeah. So. <laughs> But yeah, people are like throwing rocks through the windows and start fighting and stuff. It's just total mayhem. Yeah. And uh, so the the team kind of runs towards one of the buildings said, like, let's get out of here.
0: They they're getting attacked by all those people, like you said, and they're running away. And people are throwing rocks at them. A, a huge rock, size of it, like a softball, comes flying in, hits one of the landing party right on the head, and bounces straight up. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> that's that's you know again once again one of these uh, props that obviously would have bashed his head in if it really were a rock but to just see it was pretty cool I thought maybe it's like the original Nerf football it could, it, could, it was invented it was invented by Star Trek once again Star Trek yeah. ahead of its time
1: so they they go into this building and there's these three older gentlemen and uh, they seem very surprised to see them they make comments you know are you, you're why aren't you out in the festival and stuff but I, I'm wondering what were these three guys doing why weren't they out there with everybody else.
0: Well, I, I think they explained it away by saying that they were old, they were exempt, and they asked, you know, all of you are young men, you need to be oh, out there. They, they say did say something. something about he says, You're young, you should be out there. Yeah.
1: So anyway, they uh say that they're looking for a room, and the uh, one guy, Rhaegar, says, Yeah, I can give you a room, and this other guy, he's like, you know, they should be out in the festival, and and then uh the third says Hey come. These be strangers the valley has different ways do you say that landru is not everywhere oh of course not it's simply that they may have different ways so it's like blasphemy uh, yeah. what this guy is saying and then the this guy hakem uh runs out and says you will pay for this or you will you know you will see and he goes off and rager takes the crew upstairs to a room and says you'll be fine here and it'll be a good place to rest after the festival and kirk says we're not attending the festival and then kirk asks who's landrew and this guy gets like more freaked out he's like don't say that you know landrew will here he leaves and uh they're they're all like in the room kind of looking around at each other like you know the hell are we doing here? And so uh, they say they're going to wait till morning and see what happens. Morning comes and uh, Kirk looks out the window and things are still chaotic. The chime rings six and everybody just like stops and goes back to what they were doing. Right when it goes to hit six, there's a woman on the street right in kind of the middle of the street. Looks like she's tearing her petticoat off.
0: Oh, shoot. So uh, what you're saying is if that chime would have struck just slightly after that, we would have seen her petticoat junction? Ha ha ha
1: Why do you think Kirk was at the window? Right after this happens, they hear a woman screaming. And so they go downstairs and it's Rhaegar's daughter and he's holding her. And uh, she's just screaming, crying, and Bones comes up and takes her away. Kirk says, don't worry, he's just going to give her a shot. And Rhaegar seems fine with that.
0: But we're starting to get the idea here, Dana, that Rhaegar knows something that he's not really being open about and that he's trying to help Kirk and the landing party stay safe.
1: Yeah, exactly. He seems like a good guy. He says, he says to Kirk, he says, You're not of the body. Rhaegar asks Kirk, Are you the Archons? And Kirk replies, What if we are? Rhaegar says, If you are, we, we must hide you. So just then hakim comes in and he's got two of these dudes in the brown robes next to him, and they got their sticks with them. He points to Tamar and says it was him. He's the one who mocked the lawgivers. This guy was like, Tamar, step forward. Tamar steps forward and the guy lowers his stick like a, a firework shoots out of it. And- tamar falls over dead well then they go through this whole thing where the dudes in the robes the brown robes are like you know you attack the body you have heard the word and disobeyed you will be absorbed the good is all Landru is gentle you will come And Kirk goes, no, we're not going. And this really throws these dudes in the brown robes. They're just like, don't know how to reply. And Spock comes over and says, it seems like they've never dealt with Disobedience before.
0: In fact, they're called the lawgivers. Is that right? The lawgivers, yeah. But the, it's clear that the lawgivers are there to enforce the will of Landrew, whoever this Landrew guy is. Exactly.
1: So they, these two lawgivers turned towards each other and then uh, they turned back and said, Maybe you misunderstood. I love that. <laughs> I will rephrase it for I you. I love that. <laughs> <part>. <laughs> it's like, let me mansplain it to you. It's <laughs> like, let me Landrew explain it to you. Exactly. <laughs> Landry's plane. Exactly. <laughs> and so he says the same thing over. It's like, you know, you're going to be absorbed and, you know, you need to be part of the body and all this stuff. And Kirk just says, no. The loggers just freeze. And Kirk walks up and takes away one of the sticks. And then he hands it back to Spock. And these guys are like robots. They don't move. They seem completely thrown off. Yeah. And Spock looks at the stick and says, it's just a hollow tube. Says there's no mechanism for it.
0: Then they walk out past these guys. So the lawgivers, they, they, they're confused, right? They're confused by Kirk's disobedience. It's clear that people don't disobey them ever.
1: Yeah, I mean, you got that sense. I mean, the uh, Rhaegar was like kind of frozen by uh, the lawgivers when they came in. And Tamor just walked up and let him kill him. Yeah, Rager takes uh, Kirk and the team out of the room, but he said, uh, I know a place I can take you where you'll be safe. Outside, the people are walking around like uh, peaceful zombies. Suddenly, everyone freezes in their tracks. Rager says, it's Landrew. He says he's summoning the body. And all the people in the street start picking up rocks and pieces of wood. And Kirk orders phasers on stun. They run off and they come around a corner. Kind of like in an alley, it looks like. They shoot and more people come around the corner. Both Kirk and Spock shoot at these people, knock them down, and when they're running by, McCoy notices that the one of the guys on the ground is O'Neill who had been on the
0: planet with Sulu first. Right. Yeah, because they didn't know what happened to him.
1: Yeah. And so they go to pick him up and Rager's like, no, no, he's been absorbed. He'll give us away. Uh, Landry will find us through him. And so he's like, he's one of our men. We got to take him with us. And so they do. They go into like a dungeon-like room. It's, you know, very heavy brick walls and stuff. And uh, seems like a a good hiding place, I guess. So Spock uh, notices there's an energy reading close by, but it seems to be emanating out in all directions. Rager explains that the body absorbs its enemies and only kills when necessary. He says the Archons came. They were free. They were out of control. They resisted Landru. Some were killed. Some were absorbed. Rager says those who resist Landru will be sought out. Rager says that Landru pulled the Archons down from the skies. And so Kirk quickly calls up to the ship. Scotty says they are under attack. There are heat beams coming up from the planet. Scotty says they will lose orbit in less than 12 hours if those beams aren't stopped.
0: Now, Dana, we've seen 21 episodes. How many times has Scotty said, our orbit's degrading, we're going to crash into the planet? But I mean, there have been several now, There's right?
1: There's been at least four times. Yeah. Kirk tells them to keep the shields up and they'll do everything they can on their end to find the source of the beams. Spock reports that there are sensor beams probing them.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you <laughs> see how I didn't take the bait on that one, Dana? Yeah. <laughs> I'm more than happy to, but, you know.
1: <laughs> Suddenly, an image appears on the wall, and this is Landrew and he's got kind of a wild hairdo. That and, hair was uh, cool.
0: This has been the best hair we've seen, I think, in any episode.
1: Yeah, he's got a five head. It's not a forehead. He's got a five head. And uh, he's in some uh, very elegant looking robes. And uh, Spock says, it's a projection. It's not real. So Landrew says,
0: I am Landru. You have come as destroyers. You bring an infection. Landru seeks tranquility, peace for all. The universal good, you will be absorbed. Your individuality will merge into the unity of good.
1: Then all of a sudden, the sound starts coming. It knocks out everybody there. Rager passes out first. A couple of the crewmen fall. What's funny is everybody else looks like they're in pain. And Kirk looks like he can't decide whether or not to lay down and take a nap. (laughs) He's just really slowly moving towards the table. And he's got like his one arm up and like a a shaking a fist kind of a thing. And then then he kind of collapses on the chair and falls down. So the landing party wakes up in a cell. Their phasers and communicators are all gone. Kirk goes around, wakes everybody up. And uh, they noticed that McCoy and O'Neill and Rieger are all gone. They're uh, discussing what's happened. And Spock notes that the lawgivers react to the noncompliance in a similar way that a computer would when given the wrong information.
0: So Spock's been thinking about these lawgivers and how they reacted when they first ran into the landing party and Kirk disobeyed them, right?
1: Yeah. McCoy and O'Neill come back and they are all overly friendly, all one under Landry, uh like they've been brainwashed. McCoy doesn't even recognize Kirk. Kirk or Spock and says, you are strangers here, aren't you? You are not of the body. Two of the guards come in and take Kirk. Spock asks McCoy, what will happen to Kirk?
0: He goes to meet Landru. Happiness is to all of us. Blessed by
1: Landrew. So the next thing we see is Kirk uh, strapped up against a wall. He's got like metal bands across his wrists. Marplung, this uh, bald guy in a gold robe, comes into the control room uh, before Kirk and this seems like a more high tech thing than everything else we've seen. Yeah, and uh, there's a light shining down on Kirk, and then this guy walks into this control room. And he's got all these buttons and stuff, and uh, yeah, you're thinking, "Wow, Kirk's Kirk's done for. He's gonna get uh, zapped and be just like McCoy and O'Neill and all those guys." Mm-hmm. So this guy, while Kirk's strapped in, says, "Don't worry, you know nothing's gonna happen to you." And then he releases Kirk. He says, "I wasn't able to help your friends. I'm." able to help you right now he says i'm one of the one of the resistance
0: he says i'm letting you go when the logger has come to get you just pretend that you've gone through the whole process do exactly as your friend did yeah yeah
1: but uh he passes by spock and does the you know peace be with you kind of a thing joy to you and spock is left kind of standing there like oh that's it you know
0: yeah because he so, doesn't know kirk's acting
1: when we go back spock is against the wall and the bald guy says uh not to worry my friend you will suffer no effects spock returns to the cell and Kirk says, peace and tranquility to you. And then Kirk sees that Spock is unchanged and Spock warns that McCoy will work against them and that they must be careful of him.
0: McCoy's in the cell there. Spock, Kirk, and Lindstrom are kind of around the corner in this room, kind of whispering, right? Because they know that if McCoy or O'Neill hear them, they will know they're not of the body and then call in these lawgivers.
1: Yes. And even uh, McCoy stands up and says, you know, you're whispering and that's not the way kirk quickly replies peace and harmony to you my friend and uh, mccoy seems happy with that kirk pulls lindstrom and spock aside spock says
0: this is a soulless society captain it has no spirit no spark mr spock the plug must be pulled sir landra must die captain our prime directive of non-interference that refers to a living, growing culture. Do you think this one is?
1: And this is the first time we ever hear of this. Prime directive of non interference in Star Trek. Marplan and Rager uh, enter the room. They're all smiles. McCoy stands up when they come in. Marplan gives them their communicators, and Kirk asks about Landrew. And Marplan says, Prophecy says, and Kirk cuts him off and says, If you want to be free of Landrew, I'll need your help. McCoy comes up and points to them. He says, you're not of the body. Kirk tries to fool him and says, peace. But then McCoy goes to strangle him. O'Neill goes to hit Spock and Spock just tosses him aside. And then uh, Kirk breaks free of McCoy and somehow he knocks McCoy out. Yeah. I don't know if you notice, there's like no punch, nothing. <laughs> he just, and he basically gets his hands off of him, and McCoy crumbles like a like a sack of potatoes. Just then, the uh, lawgivers come in, and Kirk and Spock knock them out. Kirk has a bigger fight, and Spock just uses a right cross and knocks out the lawgiver that was approaching him. I found this really and, interesting,
0: Dana. That that Spock punches somebody. From what I saw, it looked like a good right cross.
1: And then Kirk looks at him and says, "Isn't that something somewhat old-fashioned?" And uh, Spock doesn't reply. Says, but just says something like, "Take the robes." Kirk turns back to Rhaegar. And uh, Marplan says, uh, where is Landrew? And uh, these guys seem kind of reluctant to help, even though they're the underground, they're the resistance. And then Marplan looks like he's going to cry. And Kirk says, snap out of it. Act like a man. Oh, gosh. And he says, tell me about Landry What happened? And rigor reveals that Beta 3 was at war and was in danger of destroying itself. Landrew, one of the leaders, took the people back to a simpler time. And Marplan claims Landrew is is still alive. Kirk says, you want your freedom. It's time you learned that freedom is not a gift. It has to be earned. All of a sudden, Raker breaks down and says he was wrong. He submits to Landry and he calls on the lawgivers. He's like, you know, like really going frantic. And uh, he's trying to get away and Spock does the Vulcan nerve pinch on him. And then Kirk turns back to uh, Marplan and says, take us to Landry. Kirk and Spock are wearing the uh, lawgivers
0: robes. They're in disguise, right?
1: Yep. And they've got the staff with him. The, and so then they go through this other door and he says this is the hall, this is the room where Landrew speaks. And Kirk and Spock get out of the robes. Uh, Kirk calls to Landrew and says, we are the Archons. And then we see the face of Landrew on the wall. Landrew says, despite my efforts to save you, you have caused harm. For the good of the body, you must die. Kirk says we have no intentions of causing harm and we do not intend to die. Mm-hmm. Gotta like that. Landrew says the body must be cleansed. Kirk tries to to speak to him. And Spock again says, it's only a projection. Kirk and Spock use their phasers and fire at the projection. And when they do, the image disappears and they make a hole in the wall. They can see the uh, computers uh, behind the wall. By the way, I think the shape in the wall looks a lot like the shape of the portal in the uh, city on the edge of the forever. Yeah. Spock says, a machine. A machine's concept of perfection. Spock and Kirk go to fire on the computer, but there's a loud noise and a light and the phasers don't work. And uh, Kirk reasons with the computer that Landrew died 6,000 years ago. And the computer says, I am Landrew. I have his knowledge, his language. Kirk says, you are a machine. Landrew says, you must be obliterated. Kirk and the machine Landrew can't keep going back and forth. And each time the machine talks, it sounds a little bit more kind of fragile, a little weaker. Kirk asks, what is the good? The machine answers, I am Landrew. Kirk says, says Landrew is dead. You have disobeyed your prime directive. The body is dying. You are destroying it. And Kirk asks, what have you done to do justice to the full potential to the body?
0: Without freedom of choice, there is no creativity. Without creativity, there is no life. The body dies. The fault
1: is yours. And as Kirk is talking to the computer, the computer starts blowing up and catches fire and stuff. I mean, he literally talks the computer to death. Yeah. I had a girlfriend like that once. Could talk a stone into crying. It was a...
0: <laughs> Oh, I'm so tempted to ask the story there, but I... <laughs> we'll talk about it later, Dana. <laughs>
1: And the computer calls to Landru, then overloads and blows up. And then Kirk calls up to the ship and Scotty says, the heat rays are gone and Sulu is back to normal. So uh, next thing we see is the Enterprise is leaving. Kirk says, sociologist Lindstrom stayed behind to help restore the planet to its human form. Spock says, uh, marvelous. Uh, the machine was marvelous feat of engineering. Kirk says, only a machine. It couldn't give his compassion, his feelings, his soul spock says predictably metaphysical
0: i prefer the concrete the graspable the provable you'd make a splendid computer mr spock that is very kind of you, Captain.
1: And then uh, Lindstrom calls up and says that there have already been some fights and some other issues, but it's all very human. Spock uh, says, how often mankind has wished for a world as peaceful and serene as the one Landrieu provided. Kirk says, and we never got it. Just lucky, I guess. And that's how the show ends. So, Dan, what do you think of themes, dilemmas here? Got any ideas?
0: Well, I think that last interaction between... Spock and Kirk, sums up the, what maybe the main dilemma that is posed by this episode. Is it better to live in a society where, yeah, maybe you don't have free will to make all decisions, but you don't have any concerns. You don't have concerns about money. You don't have to worry about war or crime. I, what do you think is best, Dana? I
1: mean, what you're describing is kind of like what Marx wrote about as the communist manifesto. Was this Groucho
0: Marx? Uh, no, his, his brother.
1: Uh, Carl. Carl, Carl. Yeah. yeah, with a K.
0: With a K, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Always wanted to be different, grew the whole beard and everything. The whole thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> The people shouldn't have to worry about anything. You know, there's one power source that's going to make all the decisions for you. You just do the labor. You just do, you know, you just exist and live your lives. You know, we'll tell you what's good and what's
0: bad. Well, the other thing it really reminded me of is the the utopia movements that were really prevalent in like the mid-1800s in the U.S. And then again, I'd say in like the 60s, but more so in the 1970s. And yet, how many of those are around? I mean, none. What does that say? I I think two to
1: a degree, humans
0: need some kind of conflict. I, I think that uh, we kind of crave it. So when you say uh, we kind of crave it, what like what do you mean by that?
1: They talk about uh, without creativity, there's no freedom. And That uh, you know, there's there's got to be challenges. If if it's just this kind of like mind numb experience where you're just kind of walking through life, it doesn't really provide anything for you. You, you need some kind of stimulus. You know, that's uh, look at the movies that are popular are all the action movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, where there's a great deal of conflict inside of them. And uh, and people kind of crave that. They they do. And so it's maybe they're not seeking it in their own lives, but we, we all need that to some degree, I think.
0: But it still kind of begs the question, you know, would it be better to live in a society where we didn't have free will, if that's even real? I mean, some philosophers believe free will is an illusion, but would it be better to live in a society that has peace and we have less self-control, um, we have less self-determination, maybe that's a better way to put it. But we have peace. We have all the food we need. We don't have to worry about crime. But yet, you know, we don't get to make decisions for ourselves. So uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it maybe we as humans exist more in the gray area between those two things.
1: But I think, you know, you said food is provided for you and there's no crime. But if you're existing in this peaceful state, then what is it that spurns you forward to want to create, to want to plow fields, to do the labor? A society like that seems like it would die out quickly.
0: Well, and I think you're right. And all those societies that have tried it have died out. You're exactly right. I guess the question is, are utopias even possible, at least in the way that they've been presented to us so far?
1: It's idealistic. I find it hard to believe that there's a real utopian way.
0: Yeah. Otherwise, they'd exist, I suppose, right?
1: Yeah. I think uh, one of the themes of this is that technology lacks humanity, and that we see this I think in numerous episodes. That technology provides, you know, something we need or we crave, but it, it doesn't have that human touch. It doesn't have the the feeling that we need. Yeah. It, you know, you think about your own computers. You know, I just bought a new one uh, a few weeks back. My older one was seven years old, if Landru died 6,000 years ago and uh, the computers were running for 6,000 years, who's updating them? You know, I mean, what? there's no updates.
0: And so it would just be static. Well, and it seems like in this episode, what you're saying is really borne out that the society has become static and not changing. And I think Kirk even says that.
1: Uh, he says, uh, you know, well, he says, without freedom of choice, there is no creativity. And without creativity, there is no life. So another point I wanted to make is that Landrew's like God from the Old Testament. Yeah. What do you mean by that? If you didn't follow his uh, God's guidance, it was fire and brimstone, you know, something bad was going to happen to you. Uh, if you do, then you had uh, a good life. The guy early on, Hakim, saying, you know, that you disparage, you know, the name of Landrew or whatever. Right. You punish those who blasphemed.
0: Yeah. Yes. So yeah. there's a lot of that. So Dana, you had said earlier that, you know, as humans, we, we kind of needed or created craved in some ways conflict. Do you think that as humans, we need to release these violent urges like seems to be the reason for festival? It never gets really explained. Like, why does Landry need a festival? Why? Is it this kind of relief valve that if people can let out their violent urges, their most base instincts, most based actions, the society benefits from that?
1: I, I thought maybe the computer was rebooting or something for 12 hours.
0: <laughs> uh-uh. I got, that's the best... <laughs> That's the best answer, actually.
1: I, I was reading other people's thoughts uh, on the internet about this, and uh, a lot of people had questions about the, the Red Hour and festival, you know, what the importance of it was. Yeah. They've got those movies out now, The Purge. It's where, for like one night or something, I, I've never watched one, because it just seems ridiculous to me, although some days I think we're heading towards this one night where you can go and kill and maim and do whatever you want. Purge, uh, the day after Jägermeister. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the same night, usually. It's, uh...
0: <laughs> but the idea here is that what?
1: That, you know, you're allowed to do whatever you want Anything for 24 goes. hours.
0: Okay, Yeah. All right.
1: And uh, that's kind of seemed to be what was happening at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, all these people were running the streets, destroying stuff, festival, festival. Yeah. You know, it's just... Yeah. Like they were mad, you know. I mean, and, and the sense of being crazy.
0: Yeah, it it never really gets explained, does it? Like what the purpose? No. Is.
1: Do you have best moments from the show, Dan?
0: Yeah, the first one is uh, for me was Scotty being at the helm of the ship. We didn't get to see him last week. And I thought he was just great again. You know, uh, with his doom and gloom, the ship's going to go down. We're going <laughs> to burn up in a fiery ball. But he was at the helm. He was leading the Enterprise to safety. How about you, Dana? What about a best part for you?
1: The festival, the mayhem. <laughs> just the way it started was so, you know, you're thinking the, the guy says, oh, you, you're you here for festival and yeah, you're going to need a place to sleep it off. I'm thinking, oh, wild, drunken night, you know, and all of a yeah. sudden the woman starts screaming and people start beating each other up and throwing rocks through windows. I'm just like, wow, this is completely mayhem. And uh, yeah, the, it just was totally unexpected for me. You
0: have any other uh, best moments? Yeah, when McCoy gets absorbed and then he comes in to the, like the cell where they are and just the way... Way that DeForest Kelly plays that I thought was just brilliant. He looked like he was just totally brainwashed like the scariest cult memory you've ever seen. How about another best part for you? Spock hitting the
1: guy with the right cross yeah. and uh, and Kirk's comment isn't that old-fashioned so yeah yeah uh, I, I like that. How about a worst part for you, Dan?
0: I mentioned this earlier, but the rock bouncing off the head of one of the landing party guys you know when they're running away from the festival and how it just hits his head and bounces straight up classic. How about a worst part for you?
1: The resistance was three people. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder why landry was still in charge I mean just uh yeah he, he said at one point uh, somebody said groups of three they don't connect with anybody else and so I'm thinking it was just these three guys yeah.
0: so anything else that uh stuck out for you yeah just the confusion between the term prime directive i I love the concept of of the prime directive as it's used by Starfleet but I think at the end it got needlessly confused when landry says it how about for you
1: Kirk literally talks a computer to death yeah on, it's and the idea is that it you know he's providing logic that defeats its own logic it's never explained how the computer controls everyone controls them so well I mean it controlled Sulu up on the ship hypnosis was all I was thinking mm-hmm. you know I mean kind of like a mass hypnosis type thing yeah
0: Dana, what have you got for us for this day in history?
1: I'm glad you asked, Dan. Monkeys still hold the number one spot in the U.S. and U.K. with their song, I'm a Believer. Man, that's... How many weeks now? That's four weeks, I believe, for yeah. us. So that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Let's see. There was a powerful earthquake registering 6.8 on the Richter scale that shook Colombia for 90 seconds, killing 98 people. Uh, Soviet Prime Minister Alexia Kosygin met Queen Elizabeth II in London and was received at Buckingham Palace for a state dinner, uh, marking the first time that a British monarch had received a Soviet leader. Uh, here's, here's one for you, Dan. The first of seven victims of the Kenosha Killings, a 17-year-old girl disappeared after leaving her home to walk to a drugstore. All the people murdered between 1967 and 1981 lived between 64th Street and 67th Street in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The serial killings would remain unresolved for 50 years. Wow, that's weird. It seems like I've heard this story because I did go to school for a couple of years in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. so probably as one of the bartenders that was telling me this story before. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, they knew me better than my teachers.
0: So, uh. <laughs> now, you weren't in Kenosha by any chance. No. Okay, no. just wanted to make sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And it ended just when I was going to school.
0: Oh, okay, good. So, so you're you're uh, you've been cleared. You're not no longer a person of interest. <laughs> I mean, you're an interesting person. You're just no longer a person of interest. <laughs> <laughs> wow, some crazy stuff happened on that day. Let me finish on a pause. Oh, good. Now. Oh, oh, thank God. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, cellist and uh, performance artist. Charlotte Mormon was arrested by the New York police at the filmmakers' Cinematique, uh, where she was playing Brahms' Lullaby as part of Nam June Pack's production, the opera Sextronic. Oh, Mormon would receive a suspended sentence for indecent exposure because she played the cello in public while
0: topless. You're right, that is a positive note. <laughs> <laughs> wow that's weird <laughs> strange but true in 1967 yeah, so. so that would have been yeah. right on the edge probably now it'd be like people wouldn't even know no, they wouldn't <laughs>
1: Let's move on to our counts.
0: Yeah, let's do that. How about for the dead crewman count this week?
1: I was sure we are going to lose uh, the two security guards that beamed down.
0: Yeah, I, I I was hoping.
1: We don't really see them at the end, so I'm assuming that they survived. So no one died.
0: Yeah, I mean, even no though one... one of them got hit right on the top of the head with a rock slash styrofoam slash Nerf football, no one died. <laughs> so we're stuck at 25.5. How about the shirtless Kirk, rip shirt Kirk count? Nope. Zero. So we're... Stuck at nine. How about the "He's Dead" count for this week, Dana? Uh, none. Yeah, none. So we're stuck at three. I'm a little surprised by that. We're, we only have three in 21 episodes. Does that surprise you at all?
1: I think we'll get more in the second and third season. Yeah. Okay.
0: So anyway, "He's Dead" count zero this week. Stuck at three. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. Zero. Yeah, zero. We are stuck at one. This is the one that we're going to have to talk about a little bit, though, Dana. You brought this up in your notes. The Supreme Being count.
1: Does a computer count?
0: Well, this is a good question. I mean, he did have complete control of the society. He was able to bring down a starship. I don't know. What What do you think? I'm going to let you make the call on this one.
1: I think the supreme being should be uh, not a computer. Okay.
0: Yep. So, you're saying zero. So, we're stuck at Four. <laughs>
1: Hey, Dan, here's an interesting side note before we uh, say goodnight. Okay. The name Archon doesn't really fit with Starfleet's traditional pattern of ship nomenclature. Most often, the starships mentioned in Star Trek are named after historic Earth naval vessels. Oh. The Enterprise, for example, is one of the top-of-the-line starships designed for long-range exploration. Uh, among them, Constitution, Constellation, Defiant, Endeavor, Excalibur. So Archon, however, is a Greek word that means ruler. Contains the same route as monarch and hierarchy not really a snug fit with the uh fleet dedicated to peace and exploration yeah
0: no so Dana, what do we got for next week?
1: The Space Seed.
0: Oh, this is a good one. This is like probably one of the most classic in all of Star Trek. Hey, before we go, Dana, I just want to remind our listeners that we would love to hear some Star Trek stories from them and get them onto the podcast. Isn't that right?
1: Oh, definitely, Dan. I, I think we could uh, even broaden that out to people who are new to Star Trek. We'll listen to your stories about why Star Trek is important to you, no
0: matter how long you've been with it. All right, Dana, it's been fun. Have a great rest of your week. And and I'll see you next week.
1: Hey, just over two hours, Dan. We're, we're doing better. Yes, we are.
0: So <laughs> not not as much money in the ramble jar. But in fact, I don't uh, think we... See what, did we need to use the ramble jar at all this week? Uh, a, couple yeah, times, a couple times. Yeah, maybe a couple times. All right, Dana. enjoy the rest of your week. All
1: right, take care, Dan. And as always, live long and prosper.
0: Thanks once again for listening to Dammit Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for Space Seed. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and remember to live long and prosper.